And I want to preach this second half of this message on God's goodness leads to repentance. God's goodness leads to repentance. So what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 2. It says in verse number 1, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. For we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impented in heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. That is explaining the child of God right there. We are seeking the things of eternal life. We are patiently continuing and well-doing, seeking Glory and honor for the Lord Jesus Christ. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. That's because a lost person is evidenced by his behavior. Amen. And we need to understand that. And a righteous man is, does righteous things. Amen. It goes on to say, But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, you would just guide and direct, Lord, in this message today as we consider your goodness. I pray, Lord, you would use this message to stir us once again. And, Lord, help us to understand that there's a reason why you're not bringing your judgment down in this world today. You love people. And you want them to be saved. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here today that's not saved, that, Lord, they would be born again today. That you'd use this message to stir them and draw them to thyself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we looked at this message. I was looking at some things about the goodness of God. And uh, this self-righteous man that we're dealing with here in, in, uh, in Romans chapter 2, it's not a Jew or a Gentile, it's just... A man, whosoever thou art, the Bible says, whoever you are that judges. So he's not talking about nailing you down to a specific people group or anything like that. He's just trying to give us an out, uh, a, in a, a view of, of what a person uh, just in the world may think and what they need to understand about what the Lord wants them to know. He says, despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So basically it's like this. God is not raining uh, fire and brimstone from heaven today. We may look at situations in this world and say, Lord, why aren't you stopping this? We see wicked people do wicked things. We say, Lord, why don't you just judge that? I mean, that would just stop them and then we could just go on and enjoy life. Why? Why, God, why doesn't he deal with these people? 
Why does he bring the rain fall on the just and on the unjust? Lord, why don't you just send rain for us? Bring drought to them, <laughs> you know? Why, what is this? He says, don't despise the goodness of God. Don't think little. Don't hold in contempt. Don't think lightly of the goodness of God. And that's what we're dealing with. That's why. That's why today you can look around this world and see wicked people doing wicked things and, and seemingly like they're getting away with it. The prophets many times would say, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? They were confused. Lord, they're killing us. They're hurting us. Why are they prospering? Why don't you deal with it? He's giving us the answer. He says, don't despise the goodness of God. See, we don't think the way God does. Oh, he's a patient God. He sure waits for people. I'm glad he waited for me. Are you glad he waited for you? I don't know about you. Not everybody is saved at four years old. I surely wasn't. How many here were saved when they were past 20 years old? Aren't you glad the Lord waited? Aren't you glad he didn't judge you before 20? <laughs> you know why that was? God is good. God is good. Remember that fellow I told you about? His name was Peter. We led him to Christ in, in uh, Manitoba there. We knocked on his door and he had hearing aids and they were going all wonky when we were talking to him. They're going, wee, wee. and he was you know, deaf. And he, even when he talked, it was like, wee, wee, wee. And he couldn't understand what he was saying half the time. And he told us that he'd already had seven heart attacks. Seven heart attacks. And we talked to him that day. We couldn't get into his house so one day because the son wouldn't let us talk to his dad. And so kind of chased us away. And then we, we went and prayed about it all week. Went back next week and we knocked on the door and he was there by himself with his wife. We sat down around his table and he bowed to receive Christ as his Savior. And then you know what he did? He says, I want to be baptized. He was 77 years old. And uh, I was out preaching that next week in, uh, in Ontario, and so I couldn't be there, but so I was hoping he showed up, and sure enough, there was nobody pull, pushing or dragging him to church, or he just walked right in there, never been to the church before, doesn't know the preacher, doesn't know anybody, I'm here to be baptized, I got saved last week. Found Valley Baptist Church, that was the first time in its history that that happened, first time. It was already 25 years in, 20 years in, something like that at that point. Maybe it's happened since. I don't know. I've been gone for a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, it's not too common that people just get baptized right away after they get saved. You know, that's a scriptural, you know, formula, you know. 77 years old. You know why the Lord didn't let those seven heart attacks kill him? Goodness of God. Goodness of God. I'm sure he got some people mad in his day. Lord, why don't you just judge that guy? He's ornery. In fact, when we got to the neighbor's house, and the neighbor was actually one of my relatives, and he says, oh, you need to go to old Peter. You go talk to him. <laughs> like he didn't need it. <laughs> Who art thou that judges another, you know? Peter needs it. I said, okay, well, you do too, but Peter needs it too. And Peter got it. Peter got it. I don't know where he is today. I sure love to know. I'm sure he has passed on. Sure he has, but I know where he is. He's in glory with the Lord. You know why he's there? The goodness of God. Goodness of God. 
That's why the Lord looks at people that judges others and condemns them. There's something wrong with you. He says, you're, you're treasuring up wrath against a day of your judgment. You're storing it up because you don't really understand. You don't understand Christ and what he's done for you. You don't understand your own guilt. You can look down at somebody else and say, well, you're worse than I am. And have you really understood that God made a righteous judgment one day and said that, you know, for the wages of sin is death and that every person in this room, if they got what they deserved, would be hell. Oh, not me, preacher. Then we need to pray for your salvation. Because you do not understand God's justice. The psalmist said, all thy judgments are righteous judgments. As harsh as they may be, as hard as they may be to comprehend, he says they're the right thing. And when he says, hey, I know. (laughs) I I know it's hard for you to comprehend because we're so used to looking at ourselves on some kind of a scale that we have some sort of a good in us. And the world is trying to tell us that. Oh, you've all got a divine spark and you don't. Oh, we're all the children of God. No, you're not. The Bible tells us, you're of your father, the devil, Jesus said. There's only one way to become a child of God, and that's to be born again. And if we don't get born again, we will go to the place that we deserve to go. So please don't go to God and say, give me what I deserve. (laughs) Say, Lord, don't give me what I deserve. That's the way to go before your God. That's the way to approach the holy God of heaven. Oh, Lord, mercy on me. I'm a criminal and I know that the penalty of death is on me. Have mercy on this sinner. Oh, we know the the story of the publican and the the, uh, Pharisee. And the Pharisee was a very righteous and religious looking man. And he says, and he saw this publican praying and, and the publican was just weeping on his face. And the Pharisee stood up and said to God, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that man. Because I fast twice in the week. And I do all these religious things. And God saw this, this publican, this taxpayer, that knew he's been ripping people off and stealing their money. And finally that, that, that heaviness of that sin was wearing on him. And he went before God and he says, I'm not even worthy to look at you, God. Yeah. And all he could say is mercy. And this is what God said. He says, that man, the one that said mercy... He is justified before me today. See, there's only one way to be justified before God, and that's through the mercy of God. Surely it's not by you presenting your good works. (laughs) You presenting your good works, you don't need his justification. You're going on your own merit. If you're going to present your own righteousness, that's going to be your record. You better hope that God's blind on the day of judgment. And he isn't. That's why these that judge one another, he says, you're treasuring up to yourself wrath against a day of judgment. You think you're better and you're not. You're all condemned for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You've all done wrong. You're all guilty. The goodness of God, it says the riches, that's the blessings. There's blessings that flow out of the goodness of God that we don't even understand sometimes. And last time we looked at the blessing of opportunity, even the the fact that you can repent and turn to Christ is a blessing of God. That's a blessing of the goodness of God. He didn't owe you that at the beginning until he put it into print. When he put it into print and he signed his name, he says, now you can hold me to it. But he didn't have to at first. 
But he made a choice before the foundation of the world to give you an opportunity to repent. God help the man that will spit in the face of God. God help the man that will not receive this precious gift, this precious opportunity. I hope you remember the day that you received Christ. Oh, my friend, that was a day where, the, where the, the riches of God was flowing out of his goodness towards you. He says, I'm blessing you today. I'm giving you an opportunity. How many people have never heard about Christ and one day someone just out of the blue comes to their door, gives them a gospel tract or invites them to church or something. I don't know how you got saved, but all of us is very unique and very special, I'm sure. Can I tell you something? That was no accident. <laughs> that was something that was flowing out of the goodness of God towards you because he loved you so much. And I'm so glad that he did that for me. I didn't deserve it. Didn't deserve that opportunity. Oh, despisest thou the goodness of God. <laughs> despisest thou the riches of God's goodness? Those are the rich things. Opportunity, that's riches having the, basically the opportunity to receive Christ as our Savior, that Jesus would even come and make that decision to leave the portals of heaven, to come down to earth just for us to spit on him, hurt him, abuse him, kill him, and he did it all to save us. Oh, that person over there, he's just a bad person. God, strike him dead. He says, have you not listened to me? Do you not know what I have done? Do you not know what my son has had to go through to get down there? If he was going to bring judgment, don't you think he would have brought it the very moment they put that bag over his head and started smiting him? Or maybe ripped the beard out of his face because they charged him with blasphemy? Or maybe spit on him and mocked him? Or why wasn't it the time where they took the crown of thorns and drove those spikes into his skull, you know, to to mock him being the king of the Jews? Or why didn't he call down judgment when they put that cross upon his back when his guts were already ripped open by the cat of nine tails and he was bleeding all over the road? And they said, carry this to your own death. Why didn't he call it then? Why didn't he call the judgment of God when he was on the cross and he was struggling for every breath? Every time he had to breathe, he had to pull himself up. <laughs> then he would hang again. While the pressure built on his heart. till finally his heart exploded in himself. And they drove that spear into his side. And out of it came blood and water. They were giving the diagnosis of his death. Broken heart. Why didn't he call down judgment? (laughs) Why didn't he call down judgment when the Pharisees were crying and mocking him while he was on the cross? Hey, if you're the son of God, hey, why don't you just take yourself off the cross? You're the maker of the world. And he didn't. He said to the disciples, don't you think that I could call down now more than 12 legions of angels? But he didn't. 
I'm going to tell you something. If one angel can take Lucifer, the adversary, bind him in a chain and throw him into the bottomless pit, I'd hate to see what 12 legions of angels could do to this world. And he says, they are at my disposal. More than David had. David had a personal guard of 144,000. He being one of the greatest kings. Jesus saying, I got more than that. Think about that. Yet he did. Why didn't he do it then? Why didn't he call down judgment at that point? <laughs> he says, no. The Bible says, despising the shame, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. In his mind's eye, he saw you today. <laughs> that day that you got saved, you understand that Jesus saw that day. You heard that song when, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Yeah. You were. See, that's what kept him going. That's what kept him enduring. That's what kept him suffering. That's what says, I'm going to go right to the end. Because he saw you, Eric. Yeah. Amen. Oh, I love Eric. I'm not going to let Eric go to hell. I'm going to take all his sin upon me. I'm going to bear it all. Oh, aren't you glad he did? I feel bad that he had to, but I'm so glad he did. <laughs> oh, where would we be today? I know we wouldn't be sitting here today. Oh, you'd all be sitting at home watching some game on the TV and thinking you're living life like the world does. Not understanding that the clock is ticking and wrath is coming, you know. But now the Bible says, you're, he says, you're not appointed to wrath but unto salvation. Oh, every day you can get up in the morning and look up to heaven and say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Wrath no longer has a place in my future. I am saved. <laughs> I am redeemed. Yeah. Amen. Oh, praise God. I hope you have that joy in your heart. If you don't have that, there's something wrong with your Christianity or you don't have it at all. Maybe you need Jesus in there. Have you received him truly? Or have you gone to him religiously? Like the Pharisee. I fasted twice in the week. He says, you're not justified. You have to go before him like the publican, the sinner. The one that realizes I've done nothing, God. If I got what I deserved, you'd throw me into hell today. Head first. But he says, I'm not going to do that. He's good. Oh, he's good. The word goodness actually has a meaning to it. To furnish what is needed. So I'm a good person, really. What are you furnishing? Well, I've been good to the church. What are you furnishing to the church to make it better? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm good to my family. Well, what are you furnishing for your family that makes them better? See, good isn't just, a, just a, uh, uh, an empty word. It's, it's actually action. Yep. Just like evil is action. All you got to do to be evil is do something that hurts somebody. All you got to do to be good is do something that furnishes something that they need and provide that need. So the goodness of God is riches provided to man. What do they need? Well, they need an opportunity. They need an opportunity. And that's what Jesus did. He, in his mind's eye, he sent Christ to the cross long before he said, let there be light. And the opportunity to be saved was there before Adam ever took a bite of that fruit. That's how good God is. 
I got to find my place. <laughs> There's another rich richness that comes out of the goodness of God, and that's the blessing of restraint. Restraint. God's goodness restrains judgment. So there's a judgment that, because of sin, would immediately take place. That means the moment the sin is there, there would have to be an immediate judgment. But because of what God did, and in his heart, preparing a lamb for the slaughter by sending his son some 4,000 years in the future after creation, he said, I'm going to restrain this judgment. You know what? You had thousands and millions of people that deserve to be judged. Yet the Bible says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance? Forbearance. Forbearance is the act of avoiding. It's shunning or omitting. It's a cessation or intermission of an act commenced. So he says, I'm going to just put on hold here. This whole aspect of judging mankind because of sin. Because of what my son's going to do for them. So he forbeared them. Amen. See, that's a part of the riches that come out of the goodness of God. Is his forbearance towards you. That's why he tells believers. He says, in lowliness of mind, forbearing one another. In love. A Christian that does not forbear is someone that's negating the very goodness of God. Sure, they're guilty, folks. Sure, they could do better. Sure, they shouldn't say those things sometimes. Sure, they ought to do better with their family. Sure, they ought not act that way on the job. But you know what? Sometimes you just have to forbear because God is doing a work. Yeah. Amen? Man. You all deserve to be jumped on <laughs> the moment you say something stupid. Sometimes your children say stupid things. Just sometimes. And you know what? You ought to teach them. You ought to train them. You ought to teach them what not to say, what, what to say. But you know, sometimes they just say things and they even catch themselves when they say it. It's like, oh, you don't got to go write it for the next five hours. Yeah. They already know it. Sometimes I see that with people, you know. You know they just blew it. They know they just blew it. This is where you could take it and just rub it in. Or just show a little mercy. Say, hey, you know what? I've done that too. Let's just not do that no more. <laughs> you know, Show a little grace to people. That flows out of the goodness of God. I'm not saying don't deal with your kids. Folks, you have to. You start letting them rule your house. You're going to be the kid. They'll be the parent. Sorry. There's a way to raise kids. And you know what? You can be hurting them. They need to be disciplined. They need to be chastised. The Lord chastises us. Our children children need to be chastised too. And the Bible says, He loveth those that He chastens. (laughs) It's an act of love. Not an act of anger. If you're all angry and that's why you're chastising, well, then you're doing a poor job at parenting. You go, you go sit in the room and count to ten first. Put yourself in the corner. And then go talk to your kids and say, let me tell you why you can't do this. Because I don't want you to become like this. Now, I want you to understand that when you make a bad decision like this, you know, under dad, it's one thing. But when dad's not here, there's going to be consequences. 
And so I want you to understand what a consequence is. I don't want you to listen to the devil. Oh, thou shalt not surely die. No, yeah, there is consequence, and they need to learn that. It's kids that learn consequence that learn how to behave well. You know, they don't want to go through that again. <laughs> hey, why don't you come do this with us? Because my dad will whoop the tar out of me. It's a good motivation. <laughs> Amen. God's using it here in this passage. It really is. God restrained judgment because of Christ's future sacrifice. In Romans 3.23, it says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. So Jesus was set forth to become a propitiation. A propitiation is a place of wrath. It's a place where God says, that is the point that I'm going to unleash everything I've got. That place of propitiation. That's why that word propitiation is also the same word for mercy seat. That's the seat that's above the law in the Ark of the Covenant. That's where I will meet the wrath. Amen. That's good because you're not the propitiation. Amen. You're not the place of wrath. He took that for you. He says, I'm going to send my son and he's going to become that place of wrath for you. That's what he's saying here. Then it goes on to say, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So here he is, Jesus Christ being sacrificed 4,000 years in the future from, from when he said, let, thou, let there be light. And all of those people, all of those sins, forbearance, forbearance, forbearance. Why? Because I'm aiming at the place of wrath. You see, he says, all I want to do is pour out all of my wrath against sin on that point. And I don't want you to have to experience this. Don't you think God knows that? God looks at you and loves you, wants you to be saved. He doesn't want you to experience his wrath. The thing is, there is no choice. He has to pour wrath upon sin. And if you will not let Jesus take away your sin, and if you let that sin remain in you, the wrath will fall on you. And the Bible says that, that the wrath of God abideth on you. Amen? We take it for granted. You know? I talked to people adored this last week. Uh, two weeks ago, I was knocking at a door in Airdrie there, and I was talking to a fella, a young guy, and uh, we talked a little bit, and I says, have you ever considered where you're going to go after you die? Yeah, not really. I said, well, and this is a guy he should know. I mean, he's probably mid-20s, maybe upper 20s. So he, obviously, he's not telling me the truth. He's thought about it. <laughs> Amen. He's thought about it. I says, well, why would you think that's important? what i asked him well you know i'm young i don't know i don't know i'm young you know and i said well my brother was 16 years old when he was killed that day when he went out he never said i'm going to die today very few people get that warning <laughs> you know that i'm going to die today in fact you don't know if you're not going to die today the Bible says you don't know what a day may bring forth. 
and walk out there, you know. I mean, you can't walk around and say, oh, uh, something's going to kill me today, you know. No, see, that's nothing to do with you. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Your day is already set, you see. But you can't tempt the Lord your God and say, well, I'm just going to gamble with this here. No, he has given you the opportunity. He is, that's, a, that's a part of his goodness flowing out from that. He's given you this time. All of history looks at all these people from the time that Jesus Christ died to the beginning. He says, that's been my forbearance. And they look at that and say, see, things have always been the way they are. Nothing's going to happen. Your perspective is so finite. The Bible says that to God, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years a day. So basically, four days have passed. Or six days have passed since... 2,000 years after Christ. Interesting. So he's saying, man, time's running out. We're saying, oh, thousands of years. And God just says, no. No, you're taking my forbearance for granted. You're despising my goodness. I'm doing it for you. Amen. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if, man, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He says, I am here for everybody's sins. <laughs> so Calvinist, I'm sorry. You're wrong. Yep. Someone called me last week and said, well, I believe that God, Jesus only died for some people's sins. I says, wrong answer. <laughs> no. Sins of the whole world. They call it limited atonement. They say if you're part of the elect, then he can only die for the sins of the elect, since the elect is the only one that gets it saved, so he didn't die for the sins of the unelect. <laughs> Amen. Well, I'm going to tell you how you know you're an elect. The Bible says you're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. That means that he already knew that you were going to get saved, so you became a part of the elect. And so he did do all these things, and he had a plan for you beforehand. You were already planned to become like the Lord Jesus Christ, predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the predestination. But elect according to the foreknowledge, according to what he knew ahead of time that you would choose. Like one of, my, one of my friends said, he says, the Lord chooses choosers. <laughs> he knew you'd choose. That's why he knows ahead of time whether someone won't choose. And, and he can choose in that person's life that won't choose. He can say, I'm going to use you anyways, but in a way you don't like. And it won't benefit you, but it'll benefit my, me and my plan. So you just become a pawn, you see. <laughs> Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. No shadow of Christ could deal with sin. In the Old Testament, you think, oh, that forbearance is because he offered sacrifices. Those sacrifices don't mean anything. <laughs> that blood didn't do anything. You think a, a blood of a bull is going to change God's mind about anything? No. It was, it was something that they could, they could enact their faith upon in doing what God's asked them to do, picturing the Lord Jesus Christ. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. 
for then would they not have ceased to be offered? That's the whole thing. They were continually offering them to show you that they could not take away sin. Otherwise, all they'd have to do is offer one lamb and it would have been done. But that's not the way it was. They would offer them over and over and that was to show you that sin uh, is not being dealt with by these sacrifices. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. So the sacrifices were put in place to cause people to remember that they have sins that need to be dealt with and there is death involved in dealing with those sins. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God, talking about Jesus Christ. Above, above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. See, that's why you don't have to offer another sacrifice after Jesus. Because he is the only one that dealt with it all. If a lamb could have done it in the Old Testament, they could have stopped offering the lambs. But they continued and continued because God says, this blood is not taking away your sin. It's just causing you to remember that you're a sinner. So trust me because I'm forbearing my judgment over you until my son comes and becomes the final sacrifice once and for all. That's why anybody today that tries to offer a sacrifice, I'm sorry, you're missing it. Today there's movements that are trying to get you back to the Old Testament. (laughs) Let's go back to the Old Testament laws. (laughs) The shadows do nothing for you. (laughs) We have the substance. Amen. God's goodness also suffers long. This is the blessing of time. Time. So we have the blessing of opportunity. We have the blessing of restraint. But now he says long-suffering of the blessing of time. Psalm 86, verse 15. But thou, O Lord, art a a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Self-righteous person will not consider that perhaps in time that soul would repent. A self-righteous person looks at somebody in the moment and they can't see out of the moment in front of their eyes. Jesus Christ, when he looked at Peter, he says, Peter, Satan hath desired to have thee and to sift thee as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Oh, Peter, Jesus knew that that day when he was going to be arrested, that Peter was going to deny him. He knew that in the future for Peter. And yet he still saw past it. Jesus saw past a a future failure. 
and went forward into a future victory. He says, Peter, I see past your failure. I'm giving you time. So Peter went past the denial. Oh, he went backsliding for a while. You ever been there? I remember when I got saved, I thought, man, I thought I had this thing by the tail. <laughs> Lord opened up my eyes, man, I felt closer to Jesus than I have ever thought it could possibly be. I thought, man, I am floating on air. But I forgot to protect myself. And that old devil just started to weasel back in with the temptations of the old life and the past. And, ah, what does it hurt to say, oh... And I, oh, I was under conviction. I was just, I was just miserable. I was just like, <laughs> this, this just, I hate this. But yet I gave myself to it. And I went back to rock and roll a little bit. And went back to smoking a little bit. And, and I was just so miserable with it. I changed. I, that's no longer me. The Lord says, yeah, that's not you. <laughs> Even Peter, you know, when he denied Christ. Hey, you've been with Jesus. You're one of them guys. I'm not. Trying to pretend. Pretend I'm not like with Jesus. See, that's what you look like when you're a Christian doing things with the world. You look like a dummy. <laughs> you really do, because you don't fit there. It's not you. You're a child of God. You got Jesus in your heart. I mean, you just don't fit there. You got a cigarette out of your mouth. You look like a fool because you got Jesus in your heart, man. <laughs> and he knows that, and he's working on you, and he's, he's convicting you, and, he, and he, he's giving you time. Aren't you glad he doesn't, bam, you're done. He may chastise, he'll whoop you a bit, you know. But he loves you and he gives long suffering. God waits to give every opportunity for people to get right. You think about the example in the Old Testament with Noah. 1 Peter 3.20 says, For which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. There were millions of people on the planet at that time, and God gave them 120 years of solid, fundamental preaching, knowing not one of them would turn. And they would mock him. Oh, we don't like that preacher. He just preaches... We want someone to come stroke us and tickle us. Noah was no ear tickler. He would stay, say stuff like, if you do not trust God now, you will die. The judgment will come. And you will all be washed away in that judgment. Oh, a little overdramatic, aren't you, Noah? Come on. Things are going pretty good here. Hey, you're, you're despising the riches. You're despising the riches. You're despising the long suffering. You're despising the, the thing that's flowing out of God's goodness to you. Because he could have, God could have built that ark for him in one day. But he says, No, Noah, I'm going to make you build it for 120 years. Because when this is all said and done, nobody's going to say, I'm not a long suffering God. And they had direct preaching for 120 years from that old leather-lunged preacher. Oh! And he believed it with all of his heart. He says, this is happening. It's coming. I don't know what it's going to look like. I can't tell you exactly how it's going to happen. But all I know is when it happens, you will know what's going to happen. Please come. Please. Please come. 
and they wouldn't. Oh, they would only come when the door was shut and the rain came down and, oh, oh, Noah was right. Sorry, faith is gone. You can only be saved through faith. Amen. Well, if God would show me, then I would believe it. Well, if he would show it to you, you could no longer believe it. Amen. It's his goodness. God was long-suffering to those that were reprobate for the sake of others. In the Old Testament, I already said something about this, but Romans 9.22, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. So in other words, Pharaoh, he knew Pharaoh was a lost man. He was not going to turn to him. So he didn't just judge Pharaoh. He allowed him to have his kingdom. He allowed him to have his riches. He allowed him to have his time. And his long suffering just gave him time and gave him time and gave him time. And God began to use him to show the vessels of mercy, the power of God. Amen. You notice that when Pharaoh hardened his heart at the beginning, initially it was Pharaoh that hardened his heart. God didn't harden his heart on the first step. He hardened it himself. But then after that, God said, well, if that's the way you're going to be, then I'm going to harden it. And he wouldn't let him make any other decision. So one plague would come. God says, I hardened his heart because I wanted to show you something else. Then I hardened his heart again, and I wanted to show you something else. And I hardened it again. I want to show you something else about my power. He was revealing the glory of God to his people. With someone that he knew before time was not going to choose him. Yeah. Time. Time. God is long-suffering to all sinners. Second Peter 3, 3, 9, it says... Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, which we are in right now, by the way, scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. (laughs) By the way, these people are more righteous than the people we have today. Notice that even though these people were doubting God, they still believe there was a creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Talking about Noah's flood. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. That means that this earth is going to be destroyed when God's going to deal with sin ultimately at the great white throne judgment. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what's saying here? People are saying, where's his promise? He made this promise. Where is it? 
And the Lord is saying, I know they're questioning my, they're saying I'm slack. People are saying, yeah, God, why don't you deal with it? There's a self-righteous man. You're questioning, you're telling me I'm slack. But he's saying, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. But you're mistaking long-suffering for being slack. God is not forgotten about this world and its sin. It's all laid out. We know when it's going to happen. I mean, we don't know when now it's going to happen. But in the chronological events, we understand. Thousand-year reign. After a thousand-year reign, the great white throne judgment. When that great, great, great white throne judgment happens, the Bible says that he'll burn up this earth with a fervent heat. It's called global warming. And it'll be gone. Folks, I'm all for taking care of our planet. We ought to do our best that way. If there's ways to help things, let's help it. But I'm going to tell you, there's something very ominous going on today. And you know what the worst thing about it is? It's, it's revealing that people don't read the Bible. Twelve years! Woo! Twelve years, praise God! It's 12 years, man, we got to, don't go long at all for Jesus to come. But you know, that's not what it's about. We know that. God is long-suffering. You're here today. You don't have Christ as your Savior. The last thing you want to do is despise the riches of God's long-suffering. He's doing that because he loves you. And he wants to give you that time. You know, I don't want to have time to get in the rest. i got so much to preach. Isn't that great? We have a Bible that just, you know, you can just keep preaching. <laughs> you know, just, you just never run out. You know, one time I went to Mexico, I went to this one church, and this preacher stood up there and he says, uh, you know, I don't really have a message today, so we're just going to sing. And I said, what? <laughs> what? This is a ripoff. I'm not paying my due. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> No way, man. I want to hear some preaching. And there's something wrong with the preachers that I don't get nothing to say. There's a wrong with preachers that can only get up for 10 minutes and run out of stuff to say. Man, I could sit up here for five hours and I wouldn't stop. And I wouldn't be repeating anything. Do you understand that? The Bible is rich and full of truth. And stuff that in your heart, it should make it just grow and explode. If you're saying, oh, preacher, I'm going to go home. It's a quarter after another minute. I'm the only one that should be doing that. <laughs> I look at my clock and oh, 12.5, 12.10, 12.14. What do I got to preach here? <laughs> Amen. You want to know how you escape the judgment of God? You know what you do? You listen to his word. The Bible says the reason why this person that was self-righteous is going to be judged because the hardness and impenitent state of his heart Hard heart. That's why you need the word of God. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? You need the word of God. I don't care where you are in your life. I don't care how stubborn you are. Some people are probably that. I'm a stubborn person. Well, you're an idiot because you shouldn't be saying that because it's revealing how wicked you are. 
Stubbornness is as idolatry, the Bible says. You are your own God. And it's showing a hard heart. Sorry, I'm not calling you an idiot. I just get over, carried away. I just didn't want to send you an email later apologizing. (laughs) The Bible says in Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. God takes the hammer and he just... Why is he doing that to me? To break your heart so you come before him and he says, I will not despise that. I will not think little of that. He does it for you. But you got to let him. Let the word of God break you. Well, I just want to do what I want. (laughs) I don't want to say the word again because I don't want to apologize again. But that's what you are. understand that there was a preacher one time he says people came up and said you got to stop saying stupid preacher that's offensive he's okay next week he goes up and he starts preaching he says instead of stupid he used the word asinine (laughs) so before he used to say you're stinking stupid now he says you're odiously asinine (laughs) anyways You know what I mean. It's all in love, right? His word. He also wants you to just humble your heart before him. Just humble it before him. You know, it doesn't say humble yourself before man. You don't have to worry about me. You don't have to come to me. Oh, preacher. (laughs) You get on your face before your God. And if you're on your face before your God, you don't have to worry about anybody thinks. That's how good God is. It's an amazing thing. Ahab, a wicked king. This story just really baffles me. First Corinthians, First Kings 21, it says, And Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. This is the prophet is pr- pronouncing judgment upon Ahab's wife. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dogs shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. He's saying, look at this great judgment, that there's none like you. Great wickedness. Ahab just, whoa. And he did very abominably in following idols according to all the things as did the Amorites whom the Lord God cast before the children of Israel. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and he put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in the sackcloth and wept, went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days. But in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. He did more wickedly. He just clothed himself with humility. I don't care what you've done. You've not come close to Ahab. And if God's going to show him mercy... He is surely going to show you mercy. Amen. Nineveh repented. What a great example. We talked about that last week. 
how Jonah went to give them the message. <laughs> and he was, they weren't even told that, that if you get right, I won't judge. He just said, I'm going to judge. And the king immediately just said, hey, let's just get before God. <laughs> let's just go before God. And sure enough, God changed his mind. And so the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh and he rose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. He caused his sheep to fast. This guy was serious. But let not man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cried mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them and he did it not. That's what God wanted. Great judgments have to be proclaimed against sin. Say, Preacher, you're telling about hell and you're talking about this. Yes, and that's goodness. Think about this. It took a message of judgment to change Nineveh's mind to save them. It was mercy. It was, it was the riches of the goodness of God. Sending that Jonah to that place. Even that God's going to judge you. That's the goodness of God. Think about this when Jesus came on the scene. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Can I tell you something today? Nineveh didn't have Jesus Christ, didn't have the New Testament. You do. If there's a person in this room that will turn away from Christ today, these wicked people of Nineveh will stand against you in judgment. Yeah. Say, we repented when no- Jonah came, and Jonah didn't even have a heart for us. You had Jesus, and you would not turn. Wow. That's why we need to read Romans chapter 2. That's why people need to know the message of judgment. That's why we can't just say, oh, love, love, just love, love, tolerance. We have to tell people there's a consequence for sin. It's not because we hate them. It's an outflow of the goodness of God. Amen? If it brings them to repentance, to a change of mind, it'll save their life. It'll save their wife, their husband. 
It'll save their children. It could leak all the way through to their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You could be saving generations of people. I think about that with one person I can lead to Christ. I could maybe be affecting generations to come. That's the mercy of God. And if I got to be a little uncomfortable preaching a bit and hollering and spitting and talk, talking about the judgment of God, folks, it's not because I don't love you. It's not because God doesn't love you. It's because his love is greater than you can even imagine. Amen. Let's bow our heads. I don't know if you're here today, you don't know Christ as your Savior. I don't care if you've been baptized, your baptism doesn't save you. I don't care if you've been confirmed, your confirmation will not save you. I don't care if you've had communion, your communion did not save you. I don't care if you try to have been good, your goodness will not save you. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You've got to believe in Jesus. He's the propitiation. That's where all of your wrath was placed upon. You have to trust that. You have to believe that's true. Your first step is to admit that you are a sinner. You are. Your second step is to understand that God is just, and if he said that for the wages of sin is death, that's a true judgment. That you would have to be separated from God forever in that place that's called the second death, the lake of fire. This is God's goodness to you. He's trying to help you to understand that you need to repent, turn to him. Turn to God. Turn away from your goodness. Turn away from your religion. Turn away from what you think will save you. And come to him with empty hands and say, Lord, have mercy on my soul. I'm a sinner. Oh, do you need to be saved today? Why don't you in your heart just say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm under conviction. Lord, you're drawing me to yourself today. I believe that you became my propitiation. You took my wrath on that cross. You could have run from it. You didn't. You loved me enough to stay. Please forgive me. Have mercy on my soul. Save me right now, please. Come into my heart. Live with me forever. I trust in you. In Jesus' name. I want to encourage you, if you just prayed that prayer, could you tell somebody about that? You've never prayed that before. You've never come to Christ with a humble heart like Ahab. You've never come to him with a heart soft, broken. Can I encourage you to tell somebody about that? Tell your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, anybody in your life to say, you know, I just received.